count my life of any value at all or as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That was, that was Paul's heart. My life is not precious to me. The, the cost to myself is irrelevant. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I was given by the Lord Jesus to do this one thing, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. It's all he cares about. You may remember that when I had the privilege of teaching here a couple months ago, I said that God is on a mission to display himself. He's on a a mission to display himself in Jesus. Jesus is God's communication to us of who he is. And Paul says, my only mission is to tell you about what he's done. So Paul's mission and God's mission to make God known in Christ are the same mission. And that's why we're going to focus on that mission this summer. We're going to focus on the gospel because it's what we're going to be doing for eternity. We're going to be remembering the grace of God in Christ. Every good gift that we receive in our eternal inheritance will be a blood-bought gift. We will never diminish the value of Calvary. And so we're just going to meditate on it this summer. We're going to look at this, this gospel diamond from several angles and it has infinite angles. We will, for all eternity, just gaze and gaze and turn the diamond and gaze and gaze. And specifically, what we're wanting to do this summer is just ask, how does the gospel relate to, you name it. Because like, we live a lot of our lives outside the walls of this church building. We live a lot of our, most of our lives just dealing with everyday issues with family and friends and vocation and financial issues and whatever. And how does the gospel, this main thing, this one thing that Paul wants to testify to, how does it relate to my everyday life? And so this morning's topic is the gospel and obedience, which is, that's a huge issue. We, we want to walk in the ways of God, and uh, there's a wrong way to do it. There's a wrong way to obey, and there's a right way to obey. And I want, I, want to, I want to talk about how the gospel impacts obedience. And so we're going to go to Galatians because obedience is, is the big issue in Galatians. At least it relates to the big issue. Um, the book of Galatians is, is concerned with the primary things of life, things that we as Christians just think are uh, and believe because the Word of God says that these are ultimate things, like how do you gain God's blessing? How do you gain the Abrahamic promises? These promises that, that flow from Genesis 12 all the way to Galatians and beyond. 
and they actually probably even start before that in, in Genesis uh, 1. We start seeing this idea of blessing. It flows from Adam to Noah to Abraham to Israel to Jesus to those who are in. How do we gain this blessing? This is a, this is a big thing. Or life. Or you know, blessing, life, inheritance, spirit. These are the ultimate things. How do we gain it? Righteousness. How do we gain a right standing in God's sight? And the Galatians is, is concerned to help us understand that. What kind of people gain those things? And Paul's gospel has said, you receive it. You receive it freely. That's the gospel. And the Galatian churches has, have said, yes. They've believed it. They've embraced it. But a false teaching has worked itself into the Galatian churches. And Paul's addressing it. So you can see this just, just right here in Galatians chapter 1. Uh, you can turn with me there if you'd like. Um, Galatians 1 verses 6 and 7. You can see that Paul is really concerned because of what's being worked into the mentality of these Galatian churches. Chapter 1 verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There's some false teachers who've come in. We don't know a ton about them. All we can really gain from them in this specific instance is what we're hearing from one side of a phone call. Paul is writing to the Galatian churches to deal with this issue. We're trying to glean what's happening. They're just agitating things. I'm just going to call them the agitators. And they've got this bad teaching and they're bringing it into the churches and we don't get a clear sense for exactly what they're teaching until chapter 5. So let's go there. We read this already. But I want to read it again with that in mind. Here's the false teaching. This is the distortion of the gospel that's slipping into these churches. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. The yoke of slavery resisted, he says. What is the yoke of slavery? I'm going to call it bad news obedience. Bad news obedience. This is the yoke of slavery and they're slowly slipping it over their necks. And I'll just give you what I think the yoke of slavery is and then we'll walk through this passage. I hope it'll be clear. This is the yoke of slavery. Jesus plus my obedience equals inheritance. That's how you gain the inheritance and I think that's bad news. Bad news obedience. Jesus plus my obedience equals inheritance is bad news obedience. And 
I will try to show you why here. So how are they putting on this yoke of slavery? It's just, it's pretty subtle actually. Verse 2, verse 3, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again that every man who accepts circumcision. So they're saying, Jesus plus your men need to be circumcised. Which is not really like a totally crazy teaching. I mean, Christianity initially was considered a Jewish sect. Right? The, the, the early Christians are worshiping in the temple. Paul is going from synagogue to synagogue, teaching in the synagogues. It's, it's growing out of the soil of Judaism. And all these teachers are coming in and saying is, hey, Leviticus 12.3, let's just be faithful to the scriptures. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. It's a commandment. What's the, what's the big deal? In fact, in fact, Paul even has Timothy circumcised in Acts 16.3. So what, what's the big deal? Why, why, this, why this extreme language, Paul, if you've done the same thing and this is just kind of what the Bible says? Well, it's different, actually. Galatians 6.12, so just the next chapter over, talks about those who would force you to be circumcised, compel you to be circumcised. There's, a, there's a, an unhealthy pressure. There's a demand. Like, if you're not, guys, you're not okay with God. Paul's encouragement for Timothy to be circumcised is, is for the sake of the mission. Hey, they know his father's a Greek, and if he's going to minister to these Jews, it's probably just a good idea. It's probably just going to help. It was a cultural thing. It's probably just helpful for the mission. These guys are saying, you have to do it, or you're not okay. Jesus plus circumcision, and you're okay. When Jesus is not sufficient. Paul says you get three hitchhikers. If you're going to embrace this, Jesus plus circumcision, there are three things you're signing up for, perhaps unintentionally, that come along with the deal. So I'm going to show you three things you sign up for and three things you forfeit when you sign up for Jesus plus my obedience. And the first unforeseen hitchhiker is this, chapter uh, 5, verse 3. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You see, it doesn't really matter what the intentions of of these teachers were. There's there's no reason to believe that they're saying what you need to do is, is get circumcised and keep the whole law and then you'll be okay. As far as we know... These guys are affirming Jesus is Messiah. He came. He died for your sins. All you have to do is receive him and then be circumcised. And Paul says, if you embrace Jesus plus anything, you're really signing up for Jesus plus 
everything. Oh, it's so sly. Jesus plus anything is really signing up for Jesus plus everything. You're, you're taking on an obligation to perform all things, which is bad news. It's bad news, and I'll, and I'll show you why in a second if, you, if, you, if you're not already seeing it. Um, the second unforeseen hitchhiker. You embrace this model. One, it obligates you to perform all righteousness. It obligates you to fulfill the whole law. Two can be seen in verse 4. Galatians 5.4. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. This paradigm, Jesus plus, perhaps even inadvertently is attempting to gain justification by law. Now, justification is the, is a, the fancy theological word here for um, basically being declared not guilty in God's courtroom. It's a verdict. It's courtroom language. When, when, the, when the case is heard, the judge makes a decision, a declaration. He either declares you to be righteous or he declares you to be guilty, justified, or condemned. And Paul says this paradigm is seeking the declaration, the favorable verdict by law. Which brings us to our third hitchhiker. <laughs> you do this, he says, Galatians, you do this. It obligates you to keep the whole law. Number one. Number two, your fulfillment of the law now becomes the legal basis of your favorable verdict. This is bad news. And number three, it places you under God's curse. Chapter three, verse 10. Flip over there. I mean, this is this is troubling. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So you see the progression? You sign up for this. You're really signing up to perform all things. That performance of all things now becomes the legal basis of gaining a favorable verdict. And Paul's conclusion is it's going to leave you cursed. Why? Because you can't do it. This, this is bad news obedience. If you try to obey God this way, Galatians, you will be damned. Bad news, obedience, and you forfeit some things. Three things that you forfeit, the unexpected cost of the yoke of slavery, bad news, obedience, this paradigm, Jesus plus my obedience equals inheritance. The first cost, Galatians 5.2, so back to our main passage here. Look, 
I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage to you. That's the first cost. That's the first thing you forfeit, is every advantage Christ gave to you is of no advantage to you now. The second thing that you forfeit, Galatians 5.4, you are severed from Christ. You embrace this, Christ becomes of no advantage to you, and you're severed from Him. So, it's not Jesus plus my obedience equals inheritance. You just sever Jesus out of the picture. Now it's just my obedience equals inheritance. Bad news. It's bad news. That's so extreme though. I mean, it's like it was just one thing. It was just one little thing. And it was in the scripture. <laughs> Why so extreme? Why does Paul just fly from um, you're either you either have advantage, the advantage of Christ, to you're severed from it if you add circumcision? Why why such extremes? And I think that the answer is in five four, the end of five four. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Grace. That's, I, I think that word unlocks the extremities of what, what's happening here. Because grace is God's undeserved kindness towards sinners you don't have anything to offer him. The grace of God is a gift, and it's a free gift. And it has to be freely received. It can't be achieved by any moral performance by sinful human beings. Grace is for spiritual lepers, and paraplegics, and blind men, and dead men. That's who grace is for. Paul's passion is to preach the gospel of the grace of God. The good news of the grace of God. It is the gospel to give the free gift Bad news obedience is saying Jesus plus my obedience equals inheritance. And the gospel of God's grace says Jesus equals inheritance. He's the answer to the human dilemma. We have all fallen short of what God expects of us. Every one of us. And, and God sent Jesus as a gift to perform on our behalf what we, we simply cannot perform by virtue of our, our sinful nature, our identification with Adam. We're, we are totally hopeless. So the second you try to contribute to the project, you are anti-grace. You're anti-gospel. 
you're anti-Jesus because Jesus says, I came to give. And you're trying to add, and I will have no part of that. The grace of God will not share the glory. God will not share the, the glory of His grace with the glory of your performance because once performance is there, grace is gone. They're, they're mutually exclusive. They're incompatible. You can't have performance and grace. You can either have grace and nothing or you can have performance and severed from Jesus. It's the only option. So the second you embrace performance, grace goes out the window. So a few implications from this, from what we've looked at so far. Mm. Number one, some of us perhaps have never been freed from the yoke of slavery. Like, ever. I mean, we're born into this. We are born in a hopeless state. We are, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, um, by nature, children of wrath. So all your life, walking around with this yoke on your shoulders, maybe not recognizing it, except for late at night where the burden is just so heavy, I know that I am not right with God. There's no way I could be with the way that I think and the things that I do and the way that I talk to my wife and whatever. Some of us have never had the weight lifted. And and this should be good news for you. Jesus has done it for you. Everything that God demands of you, Jesus has performed for you, if you will have it freely. You have to forsake self-reliance. And the inheritance is yours if you will look to Jesus who wants to give it to you. This is the Gospel. This is the Gospel. The second implication is for those who have tasted the grace of Christ. Right? We've tasted it. And the issue here is now that I belong to Jesus, now that I have received the grace of, of, of Jesus, and, and I want to walk in His ways, how do you think of that obedience? What role does it play in you being right with God? Because you can slip into this performance, inheritance mentality so easily. And Satan's specialty is subtlety. Just, just little things. I mean, this, the, the circumcision issue would perhaps be like a pretty main deal if somebody came in here and was like, okay, I've got a teaching for you today and... and uh, you're like, whoa, okay, that, that's, I, like, I have not heard that recently. Um, but for them, it just wasn't, it wasn't strange. I mean, Acts 15, we read that the church leaders like James and Peter and Paul, they all had to get together to talk about whether or not 
the Gentiles needed to be circumcised. I mean, it just wasn't totally clear. They were still trying to figure out what was happening in, in, in the, the scheme of God's, oh, excuse me, the scheme of God's redemptive plan. But it was, at, in, in their society, for what was happening, it was subtle, this, this teaching. But we buy into this paradigm. We buy into bad news obedience in ways like not so much Jesus plus circumcision, but maybe Jesus plus quiet time equals God is pleased with me today. Or Jesus plus evangelizing means God is, God's favor is upon me today. Or compassion for the poor or generosity or not gossiping or fervent prayer or justice for the unborn. Whatever it is, the second you embrace Jesus plus whatever, you just embraced Jesus plus everything. So we have to be aware of subtly slipping into performance, inheritance, bad news, obedience. And I just have a, a few questions here you can ask yourself to kind of help determine, am I, am I slipping into this? Is this, is this working its way into, into my mentality? Um, so here's one question. Is it hard for you to draw near to God after you've sinned? And if it is, what do you wait for? Do you wait to make things right? And then you receive God's forgiveness? Because that's Jesus plus making things right. And it's anti-gospel. Or, do you believe that God is for you on your side, working all things for your good when you live a godly life, but he scorns you when, he, when you sin. He's my father. He loves me. He's for me. He's working it all for good. I've just been walking in his ways. And, and, and I, this that sense of peace. And, and then you have a bad day and you're like, God hates me. I mean, it's a roller coaster of good day, bad day. This is a good one. Do you ever feel condemned? Do you ever feel condemned? Because Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The verdict has already been declared over your life if you're in Christ, and it is not guilty. So, so you ever feel like God's verdict of condemnation is over you, 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 you're, you're getting, you need to untangle that a little bit and, and listen to the gospel again. The gospel of the, of the free grace of God. The, the third implication here is, is just a warning against pride as it relates to this because pride is probably the number one cause of bad news obedience. Because we gravitate towards self-reliance. I mean, 
A woman told me once, like just shortly before she died, she said, but Jeremy, I don't want Jesus to have died for me. Like, let me die for what I've done. I got myself into this mess. I don't want him to have died for me. I mean, what is wrong with the human heart that that says, let me drown? This man-centered sense of dignity and, and honor. I mean, parents, do not let your kids believe that they're okay, that their heart is okay. It's not. They need to be saved. And, and we all do. We are not okay. And if we don't build into our mentality, into the mentality of our children, that like you, you are broken and you need salvation, you need a savior, you need Jesus. The tendency of their heart is going to be to rely on themselves. And that's why bad news obedience can catch such traction sometimes because it, it's self-glorifying. It's self-reliant. God hates it because it leaves you with a boast at the end. It's not Christianity. Christianity isn't for strong people or people who are self-reliant or self-dependent or self-righteous. Christianity is for broken people. And so this is what Paul does here. He said basically, stand firm, beware of this. And now in verses 5 and 6 he says, because this is real Christianity. Stand firm against this, beware of it, because this is real Christianity. Check it out in verse 5. We're working towards good news obedience here. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. So what role does your obedience play in that? Just, let's just read through it again. Ask, ask yourself this question. What role does my obedience play in this? Through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Nothing. We have no role. We have nothing to contribute. Christianity contributes... Christians contribute nothing to their hope of righteousness. This is the gospel. I mean, Merry Christmas in June. This is the gospel. It's all gift. It's all promises. It's all received freely because we have nothing to offer. So I join Paul and say together with him, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Receive the free grace of the gospel. That's the first thing Paul says about, it's the first way he supports 
all these warnings is by saying this is real Christianity. We wait for it by faith. Because, verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And I just want to point out two things. The first is notice that the context of Paul's existence is in Christ Jesus, right? In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. True Christian identity does not consist in ourselves. This is probably, this is arguably at least, Paul's main category in his theology. In Christ. My identity doesn't consist in myself. We, as believers, are clothed, as it were, in Jesus. We just sang about it this morning. Clothed in His righteousness. I mean, we don't even pray in our own name. Do you realize why we pray in Jesus' name? I'm not coming into the courtroom of God and like Jeremy Holton is here. <laughs> no. I come in Christ. I come in Christ's name. He represents me. That's, that's my hope of being heard in God's courtroom. I am in Christ. I'm clothed in righteousness. And in Christ Jesus, circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, slave, free, male, female, it doesn't matter your identity, your track record, who you are in yourself, what you've done, where you've been. In Christ Jesus, the only thing that matters is faith. Because it connects you to Him and you're safe in the courtroom of God. But it's a certain kind of faith. Something unique about this faith. It's, it has identifying marks. And specifically, Paul talks about it here as a faith that works through love. So the faith that the Bible calls for, the faith that looks away from self and turns to Jesus in total reliance on Him, turns away from self-reliance, that faith is a faith that works. It does something. We're not, as Calvin says, merely blocks of wood. The faith actually works. It actually loves. It serves. It blesses. That's how you know it's real faith. It doesn't work, however, as though Jesus is insufficient. It doesn't, it's not trying to gather more good deeds and gather them up and present them to God. Like The work that faith does is, is not attempting to present something to God in hopes that God will be pleased with me now that I've done these things. The faith that God is, is calling for, true biblical faith, true saving faith, is not a faith that works under the weight of condemnation. It doesn't work with the fear of God's disapproval at every misstep. It, it's a faith 
that really trusts in God and, and, and is confident in His favor. It's a faith that resides in grace. It's confident. It's, it's confident. It's hopeful. Condemnation has been taken away. Fear has been taken away. Good news has come. The heart is awakened. And that faith starts doing stuff. But not out of fear. Not out of condemnation. It has a posture of confidence. An assurance of God's love. It's good news obedience. It's gunpowder faith, right? It has the propensity to explode with good deeds when the light of opportunity and the Word of God and need comes near. It just explodes like fire, like joyful fireworks. It just explodes in good deeds. It's gunpowder faith. That's how you know it's real. When you bring light near it, it explodes in good deeds. It lights up. It's not powered by obligation or just raw duty. Good Christian, faith-filled obedience that's resting in the good news of the gospel is powered by the inner spring of God's Spirit whom He gives to us when we abandon all self-reliance put our hope fully in Him. It's powered by the joy of the Spirit of God. It's empowered by a desire to do the things that God asks of us because we start to love the things that God demands because we're taking on a new nature. It's it's, it's powered by the relief that comes from a conscience that's been cleared. Hebrews 9, uh, 14. So that now we can serve the living God in a way that's pleasing to God. And you want to know what kind of service pleases God. I mean, if you don't hear anything else, well, I don't know. They should pay attention to all of it. But pay attention especially to this point. The service that God desires from us is not the kind of service where we try to bring something to Him. To, like here's here's my evangelistic trip to Uruguay, God. There there you go. <laughs> Service for you. That that doesn't please God. The kind of service that pleases God is the kind that banks on the good news of the gospel of the grace of God and simply responds with a joyful overflow expressions of love for Him and others in adoration of what He has freely given to us in Himself. True service to God is just flowing from a receiving from God. It's it's not a giving to Him. Because He's on a mission to exalt His grace in Christ. It is the good news of the grace of Christ. God is concerned about displaying God. 
God is concerned about displaying grace. He's not concerned about you getting glory for great things you have done. Oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Not, oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful am I. Not, God loves me because I'm such a great servant. Oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful are my great deeds for him. No, oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for sinners who don't have anything to offer him. This is the gospel. Implications. For good news obedience, you are free to serve. You're free from the bad news paradigm, bad news obedience. You're free from that, and you're free to serve. So look at Galatians 5.13. It just jumps right down. And he just he hits it head on. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. This is what the gospel does to you. It frees you to serve. And your service is not a contribution to your inheritance. So the question you can ask yourself is, does my faith ignite? Does it, do I have true gunpowder faith? When, when opportunity comes near, when need comes near, when the word of God comes near, do I ignite? Do I light up? Do, do, do you have compassion? Do you have love? Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ, do you feel anything for the lost? Do you have any, is there any hint of some ability to curb the appetite for sin and a, and a longing to walk in the ways of God? Is there, is there, does it light up at all? Or is it just dry, black, soil because if it doesn't light up it's probably not real faith so how do you fix that I mean this this is real stuff book of first John actually is kind of written for this purpose is it really there? Or James? Does your faith really do anything? Because some people say they have faith and they don't do anything. And the Bible says that's not saving faith. It's not gunpowder. Does it do anything? And if it does, it contributes nothing to your inheritance. And if it doesn't, what do you do? Three things. One, do not put on the yoke of slavery. If, if you look at your life and you say, okay, yeah, I've got soil faith. I don't have gunpowder faith. I, 
I don't have, there's no evidence that God has changed my life at all. What do you do? Do not try to put the yoke of slavery on. Don't try to add your obedience to this project so that God will be pleased with you. So, number one, forsake self-reliance. You cannot save yourself. If, this, if your faith is not gunpowder, you can't do anything about it for yourself. Two, be impressed with what God has given in Christ. Receive the grace of Christ. Hear the gospel. Be impressed with grace. Receive it freely. Just, just receive it. Just, I trust you. You performed what I can't perform. I recognize I can't perform it. You have done it. You said you did it for me. I believe you. Don't put the yoke of slavery on. Just be impressed with Jesus. Don't try to offer him something. Just let him offer himself on your behalf. And three, walk in his ways. And if indeed you're impressed with Jesus, if indeed you've forsaken self-reliance and you're putting your hope in him, and you're resting in Him, and you're impressed with Him, and you're not contributing, then at some level, we're just looking for some hint of just desire for the things that He desires. Some level, God will change your heart. And your obedience will just be the overflow of His grace to you. So forsake self-reliance, be impressed with Jesus, walk in His ways, and that walking in His ways will be good news obedience because it's resting on the other side of having to perform. You see, bad news obedience is saying, if you do these things, then you will live. And good news obedience says, I give you life. Now do. We will soak in this for eternity. The gospel of the grace of God, it's at the heart of the mission. Again and again and again, we prideful, sinful people need to hear God is for you apart from your performance. You cannot do anything to gain His favor. Receive it. And believe it with a faith that works. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your servant Paul and his very perceptive and bold instruction. We thank you that we cannot provide and that you have provided on our behalf in our weakness. We thank you for your gift and we want to heed the calling. Those who are thirsty, come. Those who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Without cost. 
Thank you for the gospel of your grace. Please massage these things into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.